know, when uh, I watched that video again this morning, I couldn't discern if that was a Florida fan or a Tennessee fan. I didn't know which one it was. But at any rate, uh, good morning to all of you who are watching online and those who are here with us in our building this morning. You know, as a person matures, hopefully you learn, and it's been a, a journey for me, to be honest, to be more transparent and to be more open and honest about your flaws. And I'm in a learning process right now, and, and, and it's not fun. And I, I'll be honest, I'm, I'm not being funny. I, I do tend to get over-exuberant, rub it in when Georgia wins, and I rub it really in when Tennessee and Florida loses. It's a fault that I have. It's a flaw. It will continue, but it is a flaw and a fault. But, but honestly, everybody's got their flaws. Everybody's got their faults, and I'm going to be very transparent. My two biggest faults is impatience and I have a temper. That's just me. That's who I am. I don't know what your flaws are, what your, your, your particular, uh, you know, uh, peccadilloes are, but those are mine. My, some people say it's generational. My father, some of you knew my dad, my dad had a volcanic temper. Uh, he didn't, you know, when he lost it, he lost it. And his mother, my grandmother, also had a terrible, terrible temper. And, and I don't blame it on my generation. I don't, I'm not one of those kind of people. I take responsibility for my own actions. And but at the same time, anger is something at times I have to fight to control, and I have to work on it, particularly when I get impatient. Now, my anger, however, is not like you saw on the screen. It's not a throw your golf club, kick down a door, punch a hole in the wall. That's not the way my anger comes out. My anger comes out in, in a raised voice, uh, in uh, dilated eyes, in a lot of gesticulation, and, and mine's kind of a verbal kind of anger, and both can be equally harmful. And I'm not trying to sugarcoat either one. Anger is anger. And as you well know, if you've ever read your Bible, there's a lot that this book has to say about controlling anger. So today, we're going to begin a series on anger, but it's not the kind of series that you would think it would be. Because, in fact, I've never done a series on this topic before. But this thought came to me back in the spring, and I thought, you know, I, I would like to explore that. So we're going to begin a series today that we're going to call Seeing Red. And you know uh, what that means. If you or someone is seeing red, you've ever somebody, man, I was so angry, I was seeing red. You know what that means. It means somebody is really, really angry. When you're seeing red, people can see it, they can hear it, they can maybe even feel it. By the way, that expression comes, believe it or not, from the red cape that a matador uses in bullfighting. And, and for whatever the reason, when, when that bull sees that red cape, he wants to charge. And I will tell you that a lot of times in my life, I have seen red. I promise you, if anybody's ever pulled out in front of you, you've seen red. I, I'm just telling you that right now. Well, here's the interesting thing. I didn't know this. Scientists now know that it's not just a saying, it really is physiological that angry people really do see red where other people don't. This, this fascinated me. Researchers did a study, and when people with hostile personalities, people that had a real temper problem, a real anger problem, when they were shown a picture that was not totally red and it was not quite totally blue, if you're hostile, if you've got pent-up anger, you're a lot more likely to see red. As a matter of fact, angry people become redder in the face. You ever seen anybody, anybody get so angry, they get red in the face? They're seeing red. They are really, really angry. They, their, their face flushes. 
We, we even know now that increased testosterone in some animals is responsible for their red colors. Now, here's what's so unusual about this series. I get angry, you get angry, we all get angry. Some of us have more of a difficulty with anger than others. We know that. And I've preached messages on anger before, and many of you have heard them. But guess who saw red on more than one occasion? Jesus. Jesus got angry. However, he never sinned. Now get those two thoughts in mind. Jesus got angry. We're going to see this over and over in the next few weeks. But Jesus never sinned. Now that's a little bit of a spoiler. Because here's the other side of the anger issue. Anger sometimes gets, gets a bad rap. As a matter of fact, let me put it to you this way. It is not always wrong to be angry. In fact, sometimes it's wrong not to be angry. Now, that's something you don't hear very often. Because when you see the times that Jesus got angry, and we see it several times, then you begin to understand, okay, this is when I ought to be angry. This is why I ought to be angry. And this is how I ought to get angry. So here's what we're going to learn from Jesus over the next few weeks. Anger is appropriate when it is expressed at the right time, in the right place, for the right reason. Then anger is appropriate. And today, we're going to look, and I'm glad we got some kids in here today, because today we're going to look at Jesus' angriest moment. In fact, he not only expressed his anger verbally, he got physical. Matter of fact, your kids may not even know this story. It may be the most shocking picture of Jesus in the New Testament because here's what he did. He got so angry, he got so mad, he lost it so much, he literally cleaned house. He cleansed the temple. Matter of fact, he did it twice. So we're going to be looking at two passages of Scripture today. We're going to be looking first at a passage in the Gospel of John, John chapter 2. Then we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 21. Here's why. In John, he cleansed the temple at the beginning of his ministry. But in Matthew, he did it again at the end of his ministry. So this story is going to answer two questions. Number one, what made Jesus angry? Well, what made him angry? And then number two, who is his anger directed toward? Two great questions. So what made Jesus angry? Gentle Jesus, meek and mild, wonderful, sweet, loving Jesus. What made Jesus mad? And what was his anger? who was his anger directed toward? And so you're going to see today the one thing, I mean the one thing that made Jesus see red. It made the veins pop out on his neck. It made his blood pressure go up. It dilated his eyes. Here's what really ticked him off. When people who claimed to know God tried to keep people who did not know God away from God. That ticked him off. When people who claimed to know God tried to keep people who did not know God away from God. And here's the other thing that may shock you. You know who made Jesus angry? Religious people. Church-going people. Religious leaders. You never find one time where Jesus ever got angry at a sinner. Never. Never got angry with sinners. He got angry at people who claimed to be saints. 
Now, as we study this story, so many of you know the story, I want you to stay tuned to the end because the story is more about than you, it, it, it's more to, it has more to say than what you think. There's more to the eye than meets the eye in this story. But as we pick up this story and we talk about what Jesus did in the temple, we learn there are three things that we better not do if we don't want to make Jesus angry, or we should do if we don't want to make Jesus angry. Number one, we should care about the welfare of the temple. We, we ought to care about the welfare of the temple. Now, let's set the scene. We're in John chapter 2, verse 13. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. Now, let me explain to you what's going on. The Passover was the most important event of the year if you were Jewish. Because you had to go to the Passover. Once a year, it doesn't matter where you lived. If you were Jewish, you had to go to Passover. You had to go to the temple. You had to offer a sacrifice to God. And you had to pay the, uh, a temple tax. So you had to do all those things. I got to go to Passover. So you had to take vacation, get, take off work. Got to go to Passover. Got to do it in the temple. Got to offer a sacrifice. Got to pay the temple tax. Now, on the one hand, you've got these people in the temple and they're exchanging money, and they're selling animals, and they're actually doing a service because it was a lot more convenient for people who had to travel a long way to buy an animal than to bring an animal. Then on the other hand, you had money changers. Well, they needed that because if you were a traveler or you are Jew, normally you traded in Roman currency. That was the currency of the day. Like our dollar bill is our currency, they traded in Roman currency. However, you couldn't pay the temple tax in Roman currency. Why not? Because every coin had Caesar's image on it. And the Jews felt like it was idolatry if you, if you gave God Roman currency. So you had to exchange the Roman currency for the Jewish shekel. So it was a lot more efficient to simply exchange the money to buy the sacrifice so that you could sacrifice the animal when you got to the temple. It's the same thing we do today. We, almost over 80% of our people now do online giving. And by the way, I would encourage all of you now to do online giving. It's the easiest way. It's the best way to make sure you're faithful, make sure you're doing what you ought to be doing and giving to God's work. It's exactly the same principle. However, there's more again than meets the eye. So get the picture. Jesus is in the temple. And he's just watching. You're watching all these people come from all over Judea, Samaria, all over practically the world. They're, they're coming to the temple. They just want to do what they're supposed to do. They, they want to meet God. They want to get forgiveness of their sins. They want to worship God. And he's watching. And he's watching these people exchanging the money. And he's watching these people who are selling the animals. And the disciples are watching too. And they think it's just an ordinary, you know, just another day at the mill at the temple. But nobody knows that Jesus is a ticking time bomb. Nobody knows his blood pressure is going up every single moment. And all of a sudden, something happened that the disciples never thought they would see. I've told you, it shocked everybody to the core because all heaven breaks loose. I mean, J Jesus goes full bore. Chuck Norris, Black Panther, Captain America. Listen to what he does. Watch this. Get this picture. So he made a whip out of cords. He drove all from the temple cords, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers. 
He overturned their tables. I want you to imagine. He is throwing chairs. He is overturning tables. Money's flying everywhere. He's got a whip. He's literally chasing people out. He's trying to hit them as they go out the door. He is cleaning house. By the way, the word for drove out is the same word that's used for casting out demons because that's exactly what Jesus saw in these religious hucksters. He saw the demonic. And I'm sure the disciples are going, what in the world happened? What in the world has set you off? Here's what was going on. Get this picture. These religious leaders who are supposed to be God's people, God's leaders, they had turned God's house into their own personal ATM machine. Because in order to buy animals and offer sacrifice, first of all, you had to have the proper currency, right? You couldn't do it in Roman money. You got to do it in Jewish shekels. So you would go to a table and you'd say, hey, I knew you could change my Roman money for Jewish money. So far, so good. However, you were charged 6% just to change the money. And it gets worse. Suppose you had a coin that was worth more than what you needed to buy the animals for. Well, they'd give you change, but then they charged you 6% to give you change. Well, you know what that 12% added up to? That 12% added up to about a half a day's wage for an average laborer. And all you want to do is just worship God, offer the sacrifice, and do what you're supposed to do. But that's not all. You had to buy the animal for the sacrifice. You say, well, wait a minute. What if you brought your own animal? Well, there was a problem. Because every animal had to be without any blot. Every animal had to be without any blemish. So you would bring your own animal. Well, guess what these experts would do? They were expert at finding blots and finding blemishes. So guess what? Nobody's animal ever passed mustard. Oh, no, he's got a tick bite here. No, there's a little scar right here. So they would find a blot or a blemish. So you had to buy one of your own animals. You say, well, what was wrong with that? Well, the only problem was... They never went on sale. If you bought an animal, the going price, sheep, goat, 10 times what it would cost anywhere else. If you bought a dove, pair of doves, 50 times what they normally cost. And you think, well, it couldn't get any worse. Yeah, it really could. Because the religious leader of the day was the high priest. His name was Anna. Anna was the high priest. He was over the entire temple complex. He wanted a cut of the profits. So guess what? If you said, man, I want to get into this money changing business. I want to get into this animal selling business. Well, he would say, that's fine. You got to pay me a franchise. You're the high priest. He would say, I'm the high priest. You got to pay me a franchise fee. You want to set up your booth and your table? That's fine. And oh, by the way, once you pay me a franchise fee, then I get a cut of all of your profits. In other words, the high priest, now listen to this, the high priest is running a pyramid scheme. He's running the temple. So I got old Harvey here. Oh, Harvey's a big businessman. Oh, Harvey, you want to sell animals? That's great. I want my franchise fee. And by the way, every animal you get, I get a cut. Jack, you, you want to be a money changer. You, you're a fornicator. You're a crook. So you want, to be a, you want to be a money changer, right? All right, Jack, you're going to pay me a franchise fee, Jack, and I'm going to get a cut of everything that you get. So everybody then began to realize, now I know why Annas drives a Mercedes chariot. And I know why he has a Rolex sundial in his backyard. And now I know why he wears Gucci sandals. 
And I know why he lives in a million-dollar mansion. And here's the problem. Everybody knew that the temple was running a racket. But you're Jewish. You're just a guy. What could you do? Because the product was forgiveness. And the only place you could find forgiveness was the temple. So you had to go to the temple. So you had a choice. You could either stay stuck in your sin and not be right with God, or you could go to the temple and you could follow the rules. There was no third option. And so you've got Annas and his pyramid of profiteers. They've, they've cornered the market, and they are making a mint on what God meant to be a free gift. We'd say today, gosh, they were committing highway robbery, which is exactly why Jesus said this. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you're making it a den of of robbers. Just the reason Jesus called it a den of robbers is because the place where thieves hid was called a den. And you see, here's the point. It is one thing to turn a house into a den of thieves. It's another thing to turn God's house into a den of thieves. All of which is to say, we ought to care about the welfare of God's temple. We ought to care about what goes on the inside of God's temple and what comes outside of God's temple. So number one, Jesus is teaching a lesson. We ought to care about the welfare of the temple. But it goes deeper. He said we ought to care about the worship in the temple. We ought to care about the worship in the temple. Now, the first time Jesus cleansed the temple, this is what he preached. Listen to what he said. To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. His disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. The only thing that will be going on in this place when we come in here, the only thing is worship. That's why we don't talk politics. I said this last week. This is not a place of politics. This is a place of worship. This is not a place where we major on what divides us. We major on what unites us. And anything that degrades God's worship or detracts from God's worship or defrauds God's worship should be castigated and eliminated. When you study the Word of God, here's what you'll find. There's only one thing that ought to fill this building every time we come in, and that's the glory of God. The only thing, the glory of God. Neither God nor His house nor His name nor His message is ever to be turned into a money-making machine. So I want to take a moment and just say this. Just throwing a rock, the dog that barks is the one that gets hit. It is time to call out those religious leaders who are governed by greed and not by God. They are more concerned about their goal than they are God's glory. Max Lucado put it this way. They strip mine faith to get a dollar and rake the pew to get a payment. They strip mine faith to get a dollar and rake the pew to get a payment. By the way, they're easy to spot. They're more interested in their profit than they are in the profit. They're more concerned with what you have than what you need. They care more about your donation than they do your salvation. And, and you, you've heard their sales pitch before, right? And they say something like this, hey, if you'll give a donation to my ministry, God will give even more back to you. We've heard it, right? Matter of fact, you know, they'll say like this, hey, if you'll give me $100, God will give you $1,000. Well, the next time you hear that sales pitch, I want you to do me a favor. Y'all do this. 
If you're ever watching one of these people and they, they, they give you this, this, this pitch, call the number on the screen. Call them. And here's what you tell them. Tell you what I want to do. I'll make a deal. You send me the $100 and let God give you the $1,000. I want you to hear me clearly. Listen to me. If someone claims to be a man of God or a woman of God or a prophet of God or a preacher of God's word, anybody, if they offer you anything, anything more than Jesus, something plus Jesus, anything beside Jesus, change the channel. Change the channel. I'm offering you one thing every time you come in here. I'm offering you Jesus. That's all I'm ever going to offer you because that's all you really need. You don't really need anything or anyone else. It's Jesus. And see, there's, by the way, there's more than one way to make the church a den of robbers and a den of thieves. Let me give you this thought. When a religious leader gets up like I do and refuses to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth about sin, about judgment, about what is right, about what is wrong, they are robbing both the people who need to hear God's Word and they're robbing God who gave His Word to be heard. So when all you ever hear is happiness but not holiness, all you ever hear is heaven but not hell, all you ever hear is joy but not judgment, all you ever hear is forgiveness but not faithfulness, you're being robbed of the truth that you need to hear, and God is being robbed of the truth he has given. And Jesus sees red when preachers hide the truth, and people are not allowed to hear the truth. Because that goes to the very heart of worship. What did Jesus say? He said, if you're going to worship me, you worship me in spirit and in truth. Worship me in truth. So, overturn tables. Coins flying all over the place. Religious faith being drink, driven out of the temple by a whip. That's exactly what we should have expected from Jesus. We should have been disappointed had he not done this. And this is an area. This is a, this, there, there's an idea I want to just, again, make sure we're clear off today. This idea that, you know what, we're Christians. So we ought to get along with everybody. We ought to never become angry at anything. I want to be honest. Sometimes anger is not only not condemned, anger is commanded and anger is commended. And we ought to be angry whenever worship in the temple has gone out the door. We ought to care about the welfare of the temple. We ought to care about the worship in the temple. But then there's one last thing. We should care about the witness of the temple. We ought to care about the witness of the temple. Now, keep in mind, there are two purposes of the temple, right? Any temple, there are two purposes. There's the worship that goes on inside the temple, and there's the witness that goes on outside the temple. Now, Jesus has just displayed his martial art skill, okay? He's gone Mr. Miyagi on these people, right? And he's, he's already shown, man, I'm not putting up with this junk anymore. It's all on display, everything's died down. Everything's kind of calmed down. People are starting to put the tables back and put the chairs back and pick up the money, and everything's kind of going back to normal. But then Matthew adds this detail, and this is so sweet. Listen to this. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priest and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying? They ask him. 
Now, Matthew, when he describes what happened, what John described in his gospel, Matthew goes deeper and he goes further than John. He said, man, what Jesus did was wonderful. When, it, when they saw the wonderful things, Matthew said, Jesus said, man, did you see that check? Did you see how far that Roman coin went he threw? It was awesome. I can't believe. Jesus, you ought to get a gold medal for throwing chairs. I've never seen anybody throw a chair as far as you did. And I've never seen anybody overturn as many tables in as quick a time as you did. I mean, it was wonderful. And oh, by the way, the blind and the lame and the sick, they came rushing to Jesus. Even little children. Now listen, children saw this. Children saw the tables. Children saw the whip. Children saw the coins. And children said, Jesus, you're awesome. This is, this is cool. And they began to praise him. Here's what's interesting. Even though all four gospels record the cleansing of the temple, Matthew is the only gospel to record the healing of the blind and the lame, and the children that came. Man, I just stopped. I, had to, I was sitting in my study. I'm going, okay, Mark didn't mention this. Luke didn't mention this. John mentioned this. Matthew, why did you mention this? And it hit me. Of the four gospel writers, one was a real outsider, Matthew. Anybody remember who, what Matthew used to be? Yeah, he's a tax collector. Women, he was a prostitute. Guys, he was a pimp to the Jewish people. You didn't get lower than a tax collector. Matthew knew what it was like to be on the outside looking in. Matthew knew what it was like not to be welcomed. He was a tax collector. He was seen as the lowest of the low, as the most lost of the lost. And yet, when it came to Jesus, you know what Jesus did? Jesus cleaned his house. And Jesus saved him. See, back in that day, many Jewish authorities would forbid the lame and the blind and the deaf and the sick and the handicapped from offering a sacrifice. They wouldn't let them. They wouldn't take their money. They wouldn't take their animals. You know why? Because they said, you're not worthy. Evidently, you've done something so bad, so mean, so wrong to God. That's why you're blamed. That's why you're crippled. That's why you're sick. That's why you're deaf. That's why you've got this. That's why you've got that. You're not worthy to be in the temple. But the amazing thing is, the very ones who should be coming to God and the very ones that God is after couldn't get in. It's, it's, it's an incredible picture. The ones who wanted to make God a business wanted to stand in the way of those who wanted to do business with God. Did you hear that? Those who wanted to turn God into a business were standing in the way of those who wanted to do business with God. And this made Jesus incredibly angry. But remember I told you there's more to the story? You see, all of this business was being done, we're told, in the temple courts. What was the temple courts? Well, that was the court of the Gentiles. If, you'd been, if we'd been alive back in the day, that's the only place in the temple we could have gone. Gentiles were not allowed in the Jewish part of the temple. If you were a Gentile, you only got to go to the court of the Gentiles. But here's the problem. They were the outsiders. Well, guess where they were selling the animals and guess where they were making change? In the court of the Gentiles. So you couldn't even get into the part of the church you were, you were supposed to get into because they were doing business. In other words, Jesus wasn't just angry at profiteering. Listen to this. He wasn't just angry at the profiteering. You know what really ticked him off? Racism. 
discrimination. Oh, we can take this. You're just a bunch of dirty Gentiles. It doesn't matter what's the color of your skin or your ethnicity. We would never do this to Jews, but we'll do it to you. And it ticked him off. Because the only place where Gentiles were allowed to come and worship and pray was now off limits. So let me just get this plain, then we're going to get to the real heart of the story. The ultimate purpose of those who are on the inside of God's house is to do everything they can to make sure that those who are on the outside of God's house are welcome inside God's house so they can become a part of the family that meets in God's house. That's why we're here. That's what you give your tithes and offerings to, to a place like this. That says we want to do everything, those who are on the inside of the house, want to do everything we can to bring those on the outside, on the inside, so that they can become a part of the family that meets in this house. And it angered Jesus that God's temple was not being used for missionary business, it was being used for mercenary business. It wasn't used for missions, it was used for money. And see, Jesus was not just cleaning house, he was clearing the house so that those outside the house could get inside the house. Now, I hope you stayed with me till this point because this is the climax of the message. Because I haven't even really gotten to what the story is all about. And let me tell you why you're going to be glad to hear this. I've been guilty myself. I've read this story for years, and I never really paid attention to one important part that says, oh, that's what the story is really all about. Because if I were you, if I were not a preacher, if I were, if I were just a nominal Christian or an unbeliever, if I were sitting here today, I would be saying, well, that's a great story, and I appreciate that, but what has that got to do with me? Because after all, we don't worship in a temple. This is not a temple. We don't worship in a temple. And oh, by the way, the Jews don't worship in a temple anymore because there's no temple. So why is the story in the Bible, what does the story really mean? All right, you ready for the life? How many of you are ready for a life-changing truth? All right, raise your hand whether you mean it or not. All right, good. Okay, listen. When you, when I, if you listen to this next statement, I'm going to show you go, that's what the story's all about. This is what the story really means. You ready? Watch this. God's temple isn't a building. God's temple is a body. God's temple isn't a building. This is not about a building. God's temple is a body. Newsflash. God still has a temple. Anybody know where it is? I'm looking at it. You're looking at it. If you are a follower of Jesus, you're God's temple. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're God's temple. I'm a follower of Jesus. I am God's temple. And see, here's what happens. When you give your life to Jesus, Jesus comes to live in you. You become his house. You become his temple. And one former faithful member and attendant of the temple, here's what he said. Listen to what he said. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? You are not your own. You are the temple of God. I don't know some of you think, oh, wait a minute now. Now, wait a minute. Some of my seminary guys, we got some some young staff members. I've seen Micah back there. He's in seminary. These guys get in seminary. They think they know more than I do, and I'm going to show them they don't. 
You say, oh, Doc, you, you're just reading into the text. Now, you, you, you're just taking something Paul said, and you're reading it back into the text. No, I'm not, because I want you to listen to something I never paid attention to much at all. Listen to what Jesus said. The Jews then responded to him, what sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple. Don't, don't, don't go to the next verse till I tell you. Destroy this temple. I'll raise it again in three days. Now, where did he say that? He's standing in the temple. Destroy this temple. I'll raise it up in three days. All right, now change it. They replied, it has taken 46 years to build this temple. You're going to raise it in three days. But the temple he had spoken of was his, say that word out loud, body. He said, this is a merit paraphrase, you nincompoops, I'm not talking about the building. I'm talking about the body. So let's bring this home. I said we ought to care about the welfare of the temple, right? I said we ought to care about the worship in the temple, right? I said we ought to care about the witness of the temple, right? Yep, that's right. So now, let's get real personal. Now let's get real practical. Now let's get real relevant. You ready? Does your house need cleaning today? Is your house a place of worship 24-7 inside? Let, let that linger. You don't come to this church on Sunday morning to worship only now. You ought to be bringing your worship out from outside that you've been doing all week long. Is your house a place of witness 24-7 on the outside? See, here's the truth. We were all born with a dirty house, all of us. We were all born with selfishness and self-centeredness, concerned about our welfare, not God's welfare. And you will never get your house in order. I will never get my house in order until Jesus cleans your house, until Jesus cleans my house. And listen, the only one who can clean God's house is the only one who can clean your heart. Let me tell you what he'll do. He did it for me when I was a nine-year-old boy. Jesus came into my temple, and it wasn't even a temple. It wasn't fit to be a temple. You know what Jesus did to that nine-year-old boy? He overturned tables. And he drove out money changers. And coins went flying everywhere. Because he said, this is to be a house of prayer. And when you give your life to Jesus, I promise you, yes, he'll overturn tables. He'll throw out money. He'll drive out anything in you that will keep you from God. But when it's all over, when it's all over, and you come to know God, and you come to praise God, and you come to thank God, and you come to love God, because you know your house is clean, there is nothing like it. Would you pray with me right now? With his bound, with eyes closed, I, I want to ask you a very serious question: Is your house clean? Your, is your, you know what? Your, you are you clean? What is there inside of you today? What is there? Selfishness, bitterness, jealousy, anger, fear, doubt, 
What is it in you that Jesus needs to clean out today? In fact, is your body even a temple? You don't become a temple on your own. You don't become a temple by going to the temple. You only become a temple when you let Jesus come into your heart and clean your house and make it into his temple. So if you're watching online right now, you're in this building right now, and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior, I just want to give you a chance to do that. Will it be painful? It could be. Will it mean a change in my life? Absolutely. Will it mean I'll have to give up some things? Most probably. But I can tell you, there's nothing like living in a clean house. And if you would like for your house to be clean today, would you just say this to the Lord? Would you just right now say, Lord Jesus, I realize now I was born with a dirty house. And I'm tired of living in a dirty house. So I give you the freedom and the authority right now to come into my house and make it your house. I give you the authority right now to clean out everything, throw out everything, clear out everything that's kept me from you. I believe you died for my sins. I believe God raised you from the dead. I believe you're alive right now. And today, I confess you as my Lord. And today, I trust you as my Savior. I repent and turn away from my sin. I give all that I am to all that you are. And I want to thank you. Even if I don't feel this, I want to thank you that my house is clean. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me, either in this building or if you prayed online, I want you to do this for me right now. Don't, not for me. Do it for you and do it for the Lord. Would you just right now either go to crosspointchurch.com forward slash decision or just get your phone or iPad out right now. Text yes Jesus to 56525. Here's what you're going to be doing. You're going to be letting us know, man, Jesus cleaned my house today. Jesus cleaned my house today. I became a temple of God today. We want to just send you some material that will help you get started in your new house and in your walk with the Lord. It may be that you've never been biblically baptized. You know, when you get your house clean, Jesus likes to come in and kind of wash it down with water one more time. It's called baptism. I'm going to ask you, if you've never been biblically baptized, to let us know that you'd like to do that. Just text one of these. Either go to this website or text us. If you'd like to be a part of our church, you know, I, I want to join the church. By the way, you can do this right now while you're looking at me in this building. You can just get on your phone, make whatever decision you need to make. It may be, by the way, if you're here, that you've got a spiritual need or you'd like to talk to somebody about your spiritual decision, we will have people out at our table called Connection Point right outside in the lobby. You can go and see them and visit with them. So, as we close our service today, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet right now. Just do that. Everybody just stand to your feet. I want you to look in a mirror right now. I want you to pretend you're looking in a mirror right now. Just get honest with God and yourself. How's the welfare of your temple today? How's the worship in your temple today? How's the witness of your temple today? 
reason why we ask, we say every week, and I'm about to say, you are sent. You know what? We, we don't, that's not just a phrase we just say. We're not just throwing that out. You are sent because we want you to go outside this house to people who never come inside this house and bring them inside this house so they can be a part of the family that meets in this house. That's the purpose of the temple. There's always two purposes. Worship that's on the inside of the temple, witness on the outside of the temple. I'm going to leave you with this. Here's how you know on a daily basis you really, you really have worship in your temple. Here's how you'll know it. All true worship will lead you to witness. I'm going to say that one more time. All true worship will lead you to witness. Thanks for coming. You're sent.